Episode 162 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Go Loud. It's me, CLB. It's me, Tari Flower. And today we're joined by Luke Byrne. So, Luke, you're the technical director of Shells. You were the captain in your playing career. You actually had to retire quite early due to injury. You're working with Damien Duff now behind the scenes. So, we're going to get into all that now. On a few bob now, look at him. Few quid, fella. <laughs> I wish here, League of Ireland, that's not the reality. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, look, great role to go into after retiring from playing. As anyone in the League of Ireland will tell you, it's not about the money, it's just about the love of it, really. Mm. Yeah, of course, yeah. Look, we'll get into all of that. Come here, how are you keeping? Good, yeah, yeah, good. Just very busy, really. The league's obviously started the other day, so um, kind of ironically, that's when my job calms down a little bit and you can start to look more long-term for the next transfer window or what the squad might look like in a few months' time or a year down the line. But, yeah, it's been full on, you know. All the League of Ireland clubs are understaffed, really, so you... You end up, you know, technical director, people might think you do a certain thing, but I can guarantee you, I do things every day that you'd be thinking, but like meeting plumbers to get showers fixed, chasing people for all sorts, but that's just the League of Ireland, you know, so it's been very busy and that's been a great transition from playing, you know, yeah. perfect job for me, really. Did you ever listen to an episode of this, Luke? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, do you know where a zinger is? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. Have you got a zinger for us? Uh, I look like a shithouse, but I actually don't have one. Have you got one? No. I don't. Right, I have a question for you, right? Okay. I asked Richie, was it? Richie oh. Sadler? Yeah, yeah, you did, you did. I asked Richie Sadler, right? Who's the best baller out of the players that we've had on the podcast, Kevin? You're going to have to help me out again, yeah? Give Forrester, Jack Bourne, Ray Ross Turney, Graham Boak, Keith Tracy, Keith Tracy, and Olivia O'Toole. And Olivia O'Toole. Berkey for me. Is the best? Yeah, yeah, I think he's the best player in the league. He'd be maybe the best they ever played with. Played against him, growing up with him. Played him at Rovers and... Uh, Maybe slightly biased, he's a good pal of mine, but I think he's the best player in the league when he's fit and he's he's scoring goals. Like Anybody who I ask, because I ask that question a lot to people, like not just on the podcast, they're like my friends and people that are really interested in the League of Ireland. And I'd say 95% of people say Jack. Yeah, look. Without I've, a question. Like, yeah. It's always like Jack Bourne. Ah, he's class. Jack is obviously top, top player. Like in our dressing room, the debate would have always been Jack or Graham. So it's always one of those two. I just always kind of went with Graham. Graham was down that season. Yeah, he was he was heavily involved in that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was. When we had him in here, I remember. Oh, I was Jack as well. So obviously, Juice Hart owns a big sales fan. Yeah, and we were chatting off here, and Jack was like, "Did I put Juice down?" Like, yeah, I did. and I was like, "Ah, oh, Jack, please." He scored a great goal that night in fairness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. And then I think he wound a few of the lads up after saying, "Enjoy the first division." Mm. You probably heard that story offset as well. Did yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that's really not the best for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we played him this week, so. <laughs> Two great players, probably the top two in the league, in fairness. Yeah. Gate is right up there as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying to you before, mm. he's had probably the three best players in the league on. Mm. Played with Forrester when I was at Bowes when I was younger. And he's been, yeah, he's always in the conversation, isn't he? Finally yeah. got player of the year last year. Yeah. Which he probably deserved, in fairness, because he was close a few times. Like, And uh, yeah, and like when I played him at Bowes, he was like just this street footballer. Like he was, mm. scored all sorts of goals, scooping keepers and half volleys. Like, and you could just see the street football in him. And then he's obviously gone to England, come back, and now he's he's definitely one of the dominant players like in the league. I remember like years ago, we'd be looking at like Giff Forrester's highlight play on YouTube, and you, the country's Very like messy. Ah. <laughs> like some of the goals that fella has scored. Unbelievable. Yeah, you remember when I played when I was younger, you're thinking like, 
he's not the quickest or the strongest, mm. but you just couldn't get the ball off him. You know, yeah. just this his balance, like the, the feet he had, and then he always scored like these goals that just went like that on YouTube. He had an eye for it, like so. He's had a great career in fairness. Gone yeah. for before it was even a thing. That <laughs> yeah, was. fairness, he's still going. He's still he's still putting in the top performances. Ah, yeah, player of the year last year. They'll won be the cup there this year, I'd say as well. Yeah, they'll be up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. There's a question for you, Luke. Who do you think will win the league? Oh, you, you'll probably have to say Shells, do you? Take Shells over. Who's the best team in the league? Yeah, Rovers are the team to beat still. Four in a row. Hung on to a lot of their best players. Yeah. Um, so I think anyone who finishes above Rovers will win the league. Yeah. I'd say most of the country would agree with that. Like, mm. But it is the, the chasing pack are closing it. Like last year wasn't a runaway what it usually is. No, 100%. Like, you know, I think we, we obviously came fourth. I think we finished 11 points off them. So it's definitely getting closer. Derry will be there again. You know, they've been building a squad for a few years. They've straightened again. Pats obviously have done a lot of business. We feel we're stronger. But I think the league is just a lot stronger this year with the two teams that come up. I think yeah. points totals are going to be lower. Mm. Be a lot more competitive. Like UCD, obviously, very young team. They got cut adrift themselves in Cork. And a lot of teams would have beaten them three, four times. I don't think that'll happen with Galway and Waterford. So it's going to be a closer league. And it's great. You know, the first weekend, I've seen the attendances are up. I think nearly 30% on the same weekend last year so yeah. it's great you know the league in general we all want the league in general just to keep growing yeah and the first round the fixtures there was no clear standout team it was all very close packed as well there's a lot 100%, of draws in there. three draws I think the others were one goal games yeah and yeah the crowds will just keep going like I think we're in 95% sold out for this Friday already that's class which wouldn't be normal like you know yeah um, so yeah, look, it's just the league is kind of riding a wave at the minute the last couple of years, so long way it last. Shane Duff saying it's the best league in the world. Yeah, he gets a bit of stick over that, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, I think people think sometimes when he talks in the media, he's, it's like tongue-in-cheek, but he, honestly, he means everything he says. Like yeah. he, he doesn't give a fuck what people think of him, so he's not going to go out and say things to appeal to a certain crowd or, you know, he doesn't care what sells newspapers or gets clicks, you know, he just talks from the heart, like, so you can take my face value whenever he's talking. And uh, yeah, he means that. So. I think it's mad when you hear someone like Duff saying that who has been everywhere. everywhere like, yeah. and he's literally saying like, this is the best league in the world. This is what I'm saying. We were chatting off here there and I was saying, I'm not as invested in the league as I should be. And for some reason, and it's definitely because the league has grown, I'm getting more and more into it. Yeah, it's, there's been like a bit of a crossover. It's appealing to a lot more people. And you know, like even just my mates, you know, they would have come to a couple of Bowls games, a couple of Rovers games when I was there. But now like six, seven, eight of them are going down to Fairview for a few points on Friday, up to Tolka. Wouldn't even know they're going all the time, you know. They're just, that kind of crowd is just getting involved in the league and a lot more people just seem to know about it. You know, I would have played for Rovers and that. And you'd never talk about your match on a Friday to anyone really until the next week. It's just in that bit of a bubble. Mm. But now everyone, like social media, podcasts, all this kind of stuff, it's just got so much more exposure now, you know. What yeah. do you think has led to that surge? I think like a lot of the work has been done by the clubs themselves and I don't think, I think the League of Ireland, the new kind of League of Ireland department are doing great work but I think a lot of it is driven by the clubs themselves. They've just probably for so long looked for government funding and for outside support and they just realised it wasn't coming. So all the clubs individually have just done a great job in promoting themselves, marketing themselves. But I think COVID was a big thing to be honest. I think um, people just being locked down and that they couldn't go to live events, live sport, gigs, comedians and I think probably since that's ended you've just seen the league you know go like that like the crowds just keep going up and I think as well you know this is the thing a couple of people would say and I probably agree with it the, you know we all support the Premier League and there was the Super League shit remember mm, yeah. I think a lot of people remember that night Carragher and Neville 
yeah. at the crisis mean on MNF. I think a lot of people just said, fuck this, you know. Yeah. It's gone too far. The money's too important. There's, they were talking about taking the competition out with no relegation and stuff. And the League of Ireland was so raw that I think that kind of appealed to people. So it's, it's a combination of things. You know, there are probably a couple of things I would look at mm. as to why it's grown so much. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I think, especially with the Premier League, the money has gone so inflated and like the technical aspect overall, there's no flair in that anymore. You can nearly predict the table. There's really an upset yeah, yeah. League anymore. And um, it's going to form halfway through the season. Like the top six now in the Premier League are probably going to be the, that's the six. Yeah, should I call it the top six? Yeah. Mm. No, that kind of way. But like yeah. the top six positions now that are occupied, that's probably the way they're going to stay. Yeah. There's probably not going to be an upset now. Whereas in League of Ireland, like look at Cork last year. Yeah. Cork up late and hopped off. Like not many people would have seen that coming. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe there is the rawness and the the fact that this thing is forming that people are like, you know, well, I can jump on board in that now and, and get in there early kind of buzz. Yeah, yeah. And I think as well, you know, a lot of people probably would have looked and said like at the League of Ireland compared to the Premier League, the standards crap. You know, they'd rather watch City United on a Saturday. But I think now people look at it a different way. They're not looking at the League of Ireland to be like the best football match with the best players they've ever seen. It's more about like the experience of it. Mm. And also because of the, the national team, like so many of the, those players are coming through the League of Ireland. I think it's a chance to go and see Ogbené, Ferguson, all these lads before they go to the Premier League. Mm. I think that appeals to people as well. They like seeing them at the start, you know. The clubs they've all come through, their fans would be very proud that they've come from them and like you said, it's a combination of things, you know, it's definitely a combination of stuff, but long way it last. Mm. So Luke, what we do is we go back to the start for all our guests, yeah, so yeah. tell us where you're from and what was life like growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm from Holt, so probably the first lad from Holt you've had on, I'd say, am I? But now just very normal life, like, you know, uh, one brother, mum, dad, just very normal, you know, can't pretend there was anything, any real struggle or anything, it was just a happy life, very close to my family. Nanny lived on one side, cousins live just up the road, just constantly in and out of their houses playing football on the green. My dad was my coach when I was, you know, probably six or seven. And then when I was like eight or nine, I have a lot of family over over in St. Kevin's. So they started to come to watch me and try every summer, try and get me to go and join. And then when I was nine or ten, I just I decided to leave my mates. I was probably afraid of leaving them. Went over there and then just football just took over my life really, you know. Everything, like in fairness, you look back, your, your mum and dad are driving you around five, six days a week to train and probably giving up a lot to do for you. And you take it for granted probably when it's happening. But just um, was just hell-bent on being a footballer from being a, you know, a kid from a young age. School was good crack, but it wasn't what I wanted to, to do. I wasn't really too bothered by it. Just wanted to try and be a footballer. And um, You know, it's not spoke about enough, the dedication involved for the parents mm. for kids to make it. You know, they're driving you. I'm driving half an hour to Kevin's. <clears throat> Sorry, probably longer in rush hour. You're there two hours. They're driving you back. That's four hours there waiting their job or your brother or whoever, you know. So, yeah, you don't really think about it when you're a kid. It's now when you're getting to the age and my mates have kids and stuff and you're coaching kids and you see the commitment their parents are putting in. You think, Jesus. It's a lot of dedication, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was it really. And then just when I got into the league, my breakthrough in the league was with Bowles. Joined them when I was 18. Were you with Kevin's up until then? Yeah, I went to home farm when I was 15. So uh, I have a habit of joining rivals. Kevin's <laughs> home farm, <laughs> yeah. Bowles, the Rovers, the Shells. So... Uh, bit of a Judas but now nah, that was it yeah just DDSL football into League of Ireland and 
because Bowes had financial problems at the time, they had let go a lot of their senior players and came through a reserve team that was quite good. You know, like Keith Buckley was on it, mm. Chris Forrester, Roberto Lopez, Gary Burke, others like, there was a few others. Um, so we all kind of got our crack in the first team. And then uh, after two years I left, I was finishing school. Didn't want to like go to college or anything. I wanted to, because there wouldn't have been the money at the time. We were amateurs at Bowes, you know, you're getting 50 quid a week. So leaving school I had the chance to go to Rovers and be a full-time pro on like a three-year deal so so you were actually playing about us while you were still in school yeah yeah I would have been in school like so well, what yeah. way is that working like you're leaving class on a Friday bleeding yeah the daily then. yeah like the teachers were great but I'm like I used to come home and train with my mum but just she'd let me stay in bed till 11 the next day I was probably going to school a lot less than everyone else probably my age you know around but the school were good with it and just used to say to my mum I was bollocks after training and that and Go in, you'd play on a Friday away from home, you wouldn't go into school. Monday night matches, you probably wouldn't go into school. So, yeah, and then, so like, then even like my living cert was on a Saturday, on a Tuesday. I was away with the Irish 19s for three weeks, got home on the Monday, packed the school books to pretend I was going to do a bit of study over there. But school just became less and less important, to be honest. That true sixth year, I was just so focused on Bo's first team and trying to be a footballer. Were you playing for the school team? Nah, nah, we weren't allowed to do anything. Would have been from a young age, not allowed really to do anything in the school. So, yeah, that was it. And then later on, I got a few serious injuries. So I actually went back and went, went to night college to do something because I thought that football might not last too long, you know. So you get the smack of reality mm. a bit older. So, sorry, you said uh, you went to Bowles at 18? Yeah, yeah, uh, 17, 18. For how long were you there before you went to Rovers? Two and a half years, probably. Six months in the reserves and then I played maybe 60, 70 games in the first team for two years. Yeah. Got to play in Europe and stuff and... Yeah, we had a decent team. We came fifth one year, I think eighth maybe the next. And then, yeah, I went to Rovers on a three-year pro. So Yeah, it was a bit controversial, was, that one. Ah, uh, yeah, they haven't forgiven me, which is <laughs> yeah fair enough. You know, that's football. Yeah, but it's a bit more than just a move though, wasn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> I had uh, a bit of a slip-up at the time. I learned my lesson with social media. Yeah. Uh, just took a photo for the crack, sent it to Bowes players. I remember it. Do you remember it? Yeah. yeah, because... So just for context, so it was you holding 350s and the caption on it said... Fuck Bowers, I follow the money. This would have been about 10 years ago. Literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. 10, yeah. So we were in college at the time and I got sent around. And yeah. I remember looking at it and I'd be like... Forwarded many times. One of them. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at the picture and because we were in college, we obviously, uh, some of us would have had the Susie Grant. Yeah. Susie Grant was like 145 quid a month. Yeah. yeah one payment a month, 145 quid. I remember looking at that and you were holding up, you had about 120 quid in your hand. 150. 150. And I was like, you get more money on the Susie uh, Grant than this fella thinks he's a baller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I just, I was sitting there, I don't know why I had cash. Anyway, had cash and I just left Bowes to go to Rovers. And I just sent it as a joke because a lot of the Bowes lads at the time would have said, you know, best of luck. You know, there was no problems with the players but they would have slagged me saying oh, you're a money grabber going yeah. to over so just taking the piss I've sent it to the, the Bowes players and I've seen one of them screenshot it remember on Snapchat yeah. you see the screenshot mm. so I rang him and I said what are you doing like get rid of that and he says no don't worry you know it wasn't me I didn't do it I says you clearly did you know the phone's not acting up I've seen it anyway then a few weeks later I um, I was asleep and I swear the phone is like this it's hopping off the table and I'm thinking I got back asleep and I'm thinking that's not letting up like someone's either dead or something else has happened and I looked at it and the notifications you know they're going so fast you can't actually see them like Twitter is just going like that I opened it up and there it was on Twitter and I was so you got done dirty ah got done yeah I rang your man then and I had a few words with him I know who it obviously was and he admitted it but look it was just a joke that got into the wrong hands and probably you know Looking back, I'm sure people can see it was just 
me taking the piss, probably a bad, you know, bad taste, but it was just to a few mates. But yeah. here, look, I learned my lesson with social media, you know, you just got to, even if it's a joke amongst close friends, you just got to be very careful. Yeah, it's out there, there's no coming back. Exactly, you just yeah. got to take the attitude, like, but yeah, from then on, I took the attitude, if I take a photo of this or I say this, you know, how would I feel if I got out? Mm. That just changes how you maybe act on mm. social media or on WhatsApp or whatever. But when you heard it said like that, you're like, it's just a young fella having a bit of crap. I was 19 yeah. taking the well, piss. I think that it's yeah. the tribalism in the League of Ireland. Yeah, she's playing Bows and Rovers, so they'll jump onto any excuse. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But I suppose the good thing is, is that transfer happens so often now. It does, Bows yeah. and Rovers both ways. Yeah, yeah. That like, you just have to wait for the next transfer. Ah, was, real, and then they'll move on. They I think, P- person, I think Pico I mean? Lopez came a couple years later. I was thinking... Thank you, Pico. You know, <laughs> yeah. forgot about me now. Any Andrew went. Yeah, yeah. So just keep moving around. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Well, all, look, they all forgotten until they listen to this. So cheers for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, I just annoyed the angel. I'll jump to a three fifties in your hand, ten to take a few mates. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not that deep, you know. No, 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 no. It's not like as if you actually thought. Yeah, balling, you know. No, yeah. no. Anyone know me? No, I didn't. <laughs> you just it said wasn't even on great one of your rovers anyway. It wasn't there. Uh, I was still in my mum's box room getting lens of money. It wasn't yeah, yeah. a contract going to Rovers, but yeah, look, learned my lesson. What yeah. was the transition like from Bowles to Rovers? Because Rovers would have been like the most professional team in the league. So yeah. That like. Yeah, it was great. Like, look at Bowles, they did their best for us, like, but it was obviously going through a transition themselves. They had lost a lot of money and um, had come from winning leagues to probably trying to adjust to being just stabilising themselves. So, yeah, like at Bowls, we were training, you know, in the evenings. A lot of lads are coming from work and stuff like that. But at Rovers, it was just very professional. You know, even there was more staff, there was more emphasis on the gym work. You got fed after training, after matches. You got to Tallah Stadium and it just felt, you know, it was newer, bigger. And um, you felt the expectation of going to Rovers. You had to win the league, had to win trophies. That was great. Look, I loved it. Look, it's it was a, yeah, it was a bit of a shock to the system. But I always say to people, like, being footballers, one of the easiest jobs in the world being a footballer you know it wasn't really difficult to try and adjust to it I was like god this is my what was always my dream you know to get up in the morning go play football come back in the afternoon and go to bed that was the dream for me so mm-hmm. I was getting to live it and I just made sure I wanted to stay there really you know and got a lot of injuries in my time there but look I got good 10 years out of it so no regrets in that sense yeah you mentioned earlier on that you start going to night college and stuff like that when you were picking up the injuries yeah when did you pick up your first major injury? Uh, I would have had a knee operation in my first year of Rovers when I was like 19 or 20 but then when I was 21 I, I um, had to get my knee reconstructed blew out the ACL and the hamstring and the, the MCL so that was 365 days literally between matches so that was when I thought like I couldn't drive around for probably 4 or 5 months and you're just just like wasting away really so I just thought to myself like, and then I, by that stage you know the league you realise you're not in the Premier League. Everyone's going to have to work when they retire from the League of Ireland. So I need to start getting my ducks in a row here, you know. I want to be in a position when I retire that I can go and get a decent job or have some sort of skills or education, just something. Mm. So yeah, I went to um, went to night college in Portobello first, did a couple of diplomas. And then I went to DBS to do a business degree. So that was like three and a half hours a night, two nights a week. And yeah, that, that's I just... That gave me, that actually nearly allowed me to enjoy my football more because I felt, look, if I get another injury, at least I'm doing something else. Yeah. You know, I'll yeah. be all right. So, yeah, stayed in there. And then um, when I was leaving Rovers, I had a couple of more operations at Rovers. And um, was there five years. I think I had four ops. So by the end of that, I was just thinking, oh, what do I do next? Like, do I go down the country to go up north? Do I give full-time football another crack? 
but I decided I wanted to finish my degree so I wanted to go into finishing it as a day student because I get it it would go from two years to one year and uh, that basically kind of subconsciously I made up my mind well I want to stay in Dublin and I need to play part-time football I need to train in the evenings so I was waiting around for shells to ring me because they were getting a good team together but like I was I was coming off the back of an ankle operation so I hadn't kicked the ball in about six months spoke to a couple of managers like one manager told me to, he made me do a medical and he, he told me to retire now I never like you know believed him but the phone doesn't ring then for a few weeks and you're thinking jeez like what do I do next eventually shells rang me and said come in on trial so I just went in on trial Thankfully, after a few days, Ian Morris, the manager, offered me a deal and mm. ended up being there five, six years, became the captain and it was the best decision I ever made was waiting, really. Take us back a little bit. See these couple of injuries that you mentioned. You mentioned that big operation where you were out for probably 365 days before you played another match. What's that like psychologically? Yeah, look, it's tough. It's tough because, again, as a young player, you, you know, you want to go to England, you want to go and play at the highest level and I was, you know, I got player of the year the year before I was probably had found my feet at Rovers felt like I was playing probably my best football felt like the best condition I'd been in as an athlete and was just full of confidence really coming from the previous season and I did it like I did my injury in the second game of the next season so um, yeah it was tough you get very isolated as an injured player you know you come in at a different time you leave at a different time you're not on the pitch obviously you're probably not even in the dressing room with the lads. You're not in the gym at the same time. So you just slowly start to get cut off from the team. And um, then the fact you can't drive, you become very reliant on people. And uh, yeah, look, it's tough, but I was just very determined and very competitive. And I just, because a couple of surgeons wouldn't do the operation on me. They said, no, we don't, you know, they probably don't want the failure on their CV. They don't want to point to someone who couldn't come back. So I think the third surgeon I went to met said, no, I'll do the job on you. And um I just became so focused on getting back playing football. Like I was going to the gym three times a day, starved myself, wasn't really seeing anybody, just doing mad stuff to get back. I became completely obsessive. But I don't regret it because I got back playing. So Yeah. Is it scary when you're going around the doctors and they're like, I actually won't touch that? Because you're like, I need somebody who can make me fucking play football again. And they're like, I'm not confident enough that I can do that. And you're like, well, I'm just fucked then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the first one was probably anger. I'm thinking like, who does he think he is? Like... And then the next one says no when you're thinking, well, that's two of them now and they're experts and I'm not. Mm. And then thankfully the third one says, yeah. And um, oh, he's your hero straight away. You're like, oh, thank God. You know, mm. thank God. Because like I was rocking around a knee brace and no ACL for a few months, probably 10 weeks, I'd say. And then eventually I got the operation. So, and then that sets you back even further. Like, yeah. But yeah, you have to get it done. And yeah, and I'll always be very thankful. Morris Nelligan in the Beacon did mine. And like, even though I retired through knee injuries, it was through no... It wasn't um, a result of the operation and he did an amazing job on me. Yeah, and you said when you went to Shells, you were home back from an ankle operation. Yeah. So you were out of club then after that operation. Are you doing your own rehab then? Like you're just training yourself to get yourself back up to fitness? Yeah, so I would have had an op in probably August, um, ruptured my ankle. I've got like plates and wires in that in that ankle and um, your contract probably ends in October. So then you're like, all of a sudden you've got no club, no income and you can't train so you're in a very precarious position really and luckily I was young enough I was 24, 25 and I didn't have a mortgage didn't have kids so there was less pressure on me in that sense but um, so what I did was I was um, working in the post office over Christmas doing night shifts so it was like maybe 8 at night till 5 in the morning and then I go up to uh, I drive up to the gym in the square in Talla because we had a membership there from Rovers but it hadn't expired for me so I was still able to get in till the end of December so I go up there, probably sleep in the car. You're eating your dinner at seven in the morning. 
then go into the gym, then go up the road to Rovers training ground. And the physio was, um, he's a great man, his name's Tony McCarthy. I obviously got very close to him because he was injured so much. So he was in with probably the under contract players who were injured. So he allowed me to come in and Fairness Rovers, they allowed me to come in and use their facilities and use the physio. So that was the life for probably four weeks. And look here, I had a pain in my bollocks with it. Like I was thinking, what am I doing all this for? But then, you know, if you love football and you want to get back playing, like what are you going to do? Just sit around, mm. no one's going to do it for you. So have no choice. You had to change then. You went from a fullback to a centre half then, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. What's that like for you then when you uh, look, have to change that position? Yeah, I always actually wanted to play centre half, you know, so um, with the operations, like it definitely wasn't as quick or as agile and like probably just the risk of injury if I'd have kept playing fullback would have been higher. Centre half, it's it's less running but it's less sprints and stuff. So Being a fullback is demanding though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's especially like, well, anytime stop. I see fullbacks, it's non-stop like. Doesn't stop, nah, nah. Probably the reason I got a lot of injuries was my body just wasn't able for it, you know? Yeah. Some players, it wasn't your lack of trying, like I was in the gym constantly, you know, in the gym more than anyone on the team but I was getting hamstring injuries, operations, so my body just couldn't take it. I wasn't durable enough to play there. Went back to centre half and loved it. Would have given me the extra few years. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Now, definitely prolonged your definitely career. Definitely prolonged the career, yeah. yeah. Like even last year, I got 20 games out of it. I wouldn't have got two at fullback. Well, I wouldn't have got a game, but like, <laughs> body just wouldn't have been able to do it. So, yeah, How it was another point that transition then into centre half. Yeah, I mean, like, Shells fans, I tell you, my first couple of games for Shells, I was awful. We got beaten by Kevin Teeley. I probably gave away two or three goals. We beat Galway 3-2 first game of the season. I definitely gave away one of them. And I was thinking, God, look, I've dropped down to the first division and I'm giving away goals every week. Like this, what is going on? You mm. know, that wasn't what I expected. But I was just learning the position, really. Mm. And then I just, yeah, just a habit, really. It was just became a habit routine playing there. And then I just started to love it. Like, you know, I love heading balls, blocking shots. That's my favourite thing to do. So mm. that was the gig then for the next five years. Yeah. So talk to us about that move to Shells then. Because you dropped down the division, like you said, there. Yeah. So what's that like for you then? Yeah, so I went down to being an amateur. You know, the lads in the first division, they're not doing it for money. It's for the love of it. Like, you know, you probably get more money playing junior football at some clubs. So mm. I just went down there. I wanted to rebuild myself. But also Shells was like, you know, the club closest to where I grew up. The first match I ever went, it was in Tolka Park. I could see the club had new ownership, a new manager, new players. And it was a club who I thought was going to be on the up. So I wanted to get in at the start. Like, and... Like I said earlier, we're going back to college and wanting to stay in Dublin, obviously, to finish that. It was during the day. I narrowed down my options as to what clubs I could play for. You know, we needed a club near Dublin that trained in the evenings. And Shells was the one that I wanted. And, um, you know, I knew a few people in Shells and I, I put feeders out to try and get a bit of interest. But to be fair to the manager, Ian Morris, he was probably looking at me as damaged goods. Someone who hadn't played a lot of football in the last few years. So I had to wait and wait. But I remember at Christmas, he rang me and he just said, come in on trial, see if you're fit, see if you fit into our team. And I went in, did a couple of trainings and he signed me. So, you know, I just kind of fell in love with the club quite early. And I just knew after six, nine months there, so I, like I said openly to people, I said, I'll, I'll never play for anybody else. Like, you know, the day Shells don't want me is the day I'll be done. So got five years out of it. They eventually got me out. Not bad. Not bad, yeah. Was that that feeling when you signed to them that Shells were a big club? Because Shells are a huge club, probably. Grown up, they would have Grown up yeah. for our age. Yeah, like, our age would have been, you know, Owen Harry and that, Wes Hoolan, winning leagues, Champions League. Yeah. Mm. So that, that was... Against Deportivo. Deportivo, yeah. <laughs> so that was my memory of them. Now, in fairness, when I went to them in the first division, you know, it was four or five hundred people at a match you're playing against. With all due respect, you're not playing Bowes and Rovers, you're playing Cabin Teeley and, and Wexford. Mm. So I knew the club wasn't where it wanted to be, where it had been. 
but I wanted to be a part of getting it back to those levels, you know. And I, I saw that with the new owner, young, hungry manager, David O'Connor was a fellow I played with at Rovers. He was the CEO. He was only 26. But I knew how motivated he was. So I just saw good people being involved in the club and thought, like, they've got a chance. I want to be a part of it, really. And mm. look here, it's not down to me. I'm a small, small part of it. But like you see here now, we're back in Europe, been in the cup final. The ground is sending out every week. Damien Duff's our manager of the club's you know, it's gone so far in the last five years. It's, it's actually, it's unbelievable really when you sit back. What do you think is the reason for the growth or for Shells coming back? Because they did just, re- like if you look at Shells now, like you just said there, like Duff is the manager, fourth in the league. Mm. Where do you think that comes from? Like what happened there at Shells? I mean, it started probably with Andrew Doyle taking over the club probably six, seven years ago now. He came in, he obviously had a plan for getting the club back to those heights. Um, now he's he since stepped away but he would have had a huge impact David O'Connor the CEO would have been a huge factor as well and look we had our ups and downs we won the league the year I went then we got relegated then we won it again and then I think it's you know and this isn't a slight on anybody else but a pivotal moment is the club you know sacking a manager who had just won the league to hire Damien Duff who had never managed yeah, it's a brave decision it's a very brave decision you know we weren't we had won the league but we had a couple of games left when Ian Morris was basically relieved of his duty and uh it took a few weeks. We weren't sure what would happen, and then Damien Duff gets announced. And uh, look, he's—it's obviously like I said, it's a lot of people, but you have to say he's been a huge, huge driving factor. You know, he's just raised standards across the whole club, and I think he's also helped. You know, put a lot, a lot of eyeballs on the league in general. You know, yeah. he's a big name who's bought into it, and he's a, uh, yeah, he's a, another reason for the league's growth in general, not just shells. Yeah, yeah I, I would think that as well. You're kind of you're close to Duff, aren't you? Yeah, look, I played in my Rovers and then when I was out injured, I always wanted a coach. So I started doing my coaching badges and he gave me a job with the Rovers 15s National League team. So obviously, just the nature of it, you're talking to him a lot more because you have to plan sessions, you're talking about players and, and all that. And then I would have left Rovers, he would have left at the same time and gone to Celtic under Brendan Rodgers um, as a first team coach. And then when COVID hit and he was moving home to be with his family, he took a job on Stephen Kenny's staff and he said to me, like, you know, it's the nature of international football. There's only so many camps. I want to coach every day. Do you think there's a job for me in Shells? So I was coaching the under-15s and I spoke to people in the club and they, um, coming back off the first lockdown, they, they gave him the 17s National League job and I became his assistant. So then I kind of, yeah, obviously started working with him again and then you fast forward, he was the manager and I was the captain. So again, there's a, a relationship there. But mm. He's so professional, you know, like he'd remind me and he'd say publicly, like, you know, he's, he's not my friend. He's, he was my boss. And now obviously I work, have a slightly different relationship with him. I'm not a player anymore. I work with him off the pitch now. But again, he's, he's so professional. Like he's, you know, obviously, you know, I have a great relationship with him, but like at the end of the day, it's, it is very professional. You know, I wouldn't say we're, we're walking around best mates. Mm. So see the way you said you're going into coaching as well. So you're doing that and you're doing the, the nighttime courses as well. Yeah, I would, would have gone into college in the morning. Then I would have gone up to Premier Sports TV company to do an internship. Then you go training and then you coach at night. So I was trying to do it all. And is that with one eye on like after the game yeah. or is that way? Like I want to stay involved in the game while I'm injured. Both, yeah. Both, yeah, in fairness. I probably got into the coaching because I was injured and then I just loved it and couldn't get out of it. Yeah. And then you do your badges, so you kind of have to stay involved. But no, I was just always with the eye on retiring because I had the injuries. I knew like I could always be a game, an injury away from having to finish. So that's why I was kind of trying to get ahead of my age group, I suppose, with the coaching. 
trying to get fully qualified as a coach before I finished, trying to get some sort of qualifications off the pitch before I finished. Just, and I would talk to young players now about the importance of it because no one in the league is going to retire with yeah. money. Let's be honest, it's not the Premier League. Mm. And like some of them would be open and they'd say, oh yeah, like I, I do get quite anxious about the fact that like football could be taken away from me and I have nothing else. And I would have been lucky, I would have had older players like that I would have piled around with or looked up to, like Ronan Finn would have been a good mate, is a good mate of mine. He would have done similar, he went to UCD, did a degree when he was younger, that's how he got into the league. And he would have been on me quite young saying, Luke, you need to do something, like make sure you, you're doing something off the pitch. So that was just instilled in me and then I just couldn't stop. I just was taking on all sorts of jobs, coaching jobs, courses, and just became very, very busy. But, you know, that's who I am. I like being like that. Mm. And were you getting sick off the parents when you were coaching? Yeah, 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 yeah. Of the kids I coached, not not some, but yeah, nah, look, yeah, I would have, we would have treated, like, you know, especially when I work with, with what do I call, call him Gaffer now, I can't really call him anything else. <laughs> he would have treated those 15s and 17s teams like a first team. Like, they were just so professional. He had them in at half six in the morning back that night overnight trips you know it was treated like a, a first a first team so naturally we wanted to win and that led to ah there was red cards and there was arguments with, with parents and probably got an argument with players which I couldn't have been doing they were only 17 but that was just the nature of it you know we wanted to win and we wanted our players to become professional as early as possible so um, it'd be fairly common you know around the sidelines yeah you kind of brushed past it there so you, you got promoted with Shells in your fourth season <laughs> yeah do you think right this is it now we're back yeah but then you just get relegated the following season yeah is there any part do you think like that's it then that's that bubble burst we're back to the fourth division for the foreseeable now yeah there would have been a part of that like you know we got promoted and I think we played four games before COVID and you know we had seven points we lost to Dundalk but we played very well against them and they were coming off the back of winning leagues you know they were the top team mm. Talca was probably up to, you know, probably we were getting three, three and a half thousand at the game. So like everything had just transformed with the promotion. And uh, then the lockdown hits, you come back to the shorter season. And again, like we probably didn't look like getting relegated to three or four games to go, but because it was an 18 game season, it was so tight. Like we were talking about getting into Europe with four, literally I think four games to go. Come the last night, like we're playing Rovers and we need to win to not get put in the relegation playoff. So, um, yeah, and look, and I had a big part to play in it. Like, I, I got three red cards in the last four matches, which is, like, probably some sort of record. But it's... Every time I tackled someone, I got sent off and uh, kind of culminated with the with the playoff against um, Longford. And I was the captain. Gave away a pen and was sent off after half an hour. And I'm sitting there in an empty stadium thinking, what have you done? You know, we're going to go down and you have a, it's a lot of it's down to you now. So that's why, you know, when that season ended, I'd, I would never have left, you know, at other clubs ringing me to, to go and meet them or sign for them, but I, I couldn't leave. Like, you couldn't have like unfinished business, like, you had 100%. Yourself, yeah. yeah, I would have been embarrassed had I left, you know. Yeah. How could anyone take me seriously after that if I tried to say I was loyal or committed to a club or, or anything? Yeah. You know, walking out like that. So, what's that like, though, getting sent off in that playoff game? Ah, it's terrible, you know, because there's no fans even in the ground. So you're walking down the tunnel looking at, like, the CEO, the board members who give up their time their money they're doing everything for you like we kept getting paid during COVID at Shells I think we were one of maybe three clubs that they honoured our wages during the whole lockdown and you're just looking at them thinking sorry you know mm. what, what can you say you can't even say sorry yeah. it doesn't mean anything at that stage so but it was tough it was a tough one to get over to be honest but again just like with the injuries like you just have no choice but just to try and roll your sleeves up and try and fix it like and just go back at it. Just again, go back yeah. at it, yeah. But I can imagine that's a huge board and like Ah, yeah, it was a killer, you know, and then I got injured in that playoff, ironically, you know, I think I got I got injured getting my first yellow. 
then I've gone to give away a penalty, got a second yellow sent off. So when I came back, we had like a completely new team. The manager just started from scratch and he made me captain. But like I was injured for the first couple of months. I think I missed the first five matches through suspension and injury. So I was like probably really eager to try and make a mark on the team and prove, you know, that the club had made the right decision to stick by me. But I couldn't even make an impact straight away. But mm. look, it worked out well. We won the league that year and the club's just gone from strength to strength since. So yeah. I know you mentioned earlier about the manager getting sacked when Duff came in. What's the players' reactions to winning the league and then the manager going? Yeah, I mean, like, um, we would have got the trophy on the last day against UCD, but we knew the manager was gone at that stage, which is strange. You know, it's the first time it's ever happened to me in my career. I've played for clubs when the manager gets sacked, but not in that circumstances. So, to be honest with you, you feel sorry for him. You know, he's won two leagues in three years. It was his first managerial job. But as players, like, you have no influence on stuff like that. You know, you just, you have to trust that the people making the decision are making the right decision and that they're going to get the right man in to replace him and it's all done for a reason. And then I knew when they appointed the gaffer, I knew how good he was going to be. So early on, I knew that the decision would be justified. And again, that's no criticism of Ian Myers. You know, he's a, he was a brilliant young manager and he was, you know, someone I still look up to and thank him a lot for giving me a chance. But it's more just a compliment to, to the gaffer now. I knew how good he was going to be and I knew that it was going to be the right decision. So it's a tough one, you know, but here football is a realist business and, and mm. we've all been sacked and let go. It just happens to everybody. Last season was your last season as a professional footballer, but coming into that season, you were already told to retire, weren't you? Yeah, I'd been told. Yeah, I'd been told at like 25 before I went to Shells by a manager of another club. They'd done a medical on me and, you know, I went to get my ankle checked because I had an operation and the physio says, right, you're done. I'll just ring the manager now. Went to walk out. He says, no, I'll come back. He wants to do this. It happened for about about four times, about an hour and a half. And I just said, something not right here. Like, he doesn't trust my body. So he then rang me and says, nah, Luke, no, we, we don't want to sign you. I think it's best if you start looking at other things outside football. You know, my advice would be, yeah, to give up football and look for something else. You know, at the age you're at, you're still young enough to change career. And I just said to him, you don't know me. Like, don't talk to me like that. And I just hung up the phone on him you know and that would have been a motivation to try and prove people like that wrong would have had people I knew like not out of badness you know people that I've played football with and that text me I did you retire you know you finished and I thought like fucking hell like 24 25 can't be done so um, just worked my bollocks off waited for the chance at Shells and then that's just how I continued throughout my career you know I wouldn't have been a great player by any means but just would have always tried to be the ultimate professional and try and get everything out of my body that I had so even getting to 30 you know it was like an early retirement but I look at it as getting more out of me than maybe other people thought I would you know people mm -hmm. probably thought I'd be finished earlier so can be proud of that you know just stayed at it as long as I could Well what was the last season like playing though surely it must be in agony Yeah like I would have played 39 matches out of 40 in 2022 obviously the cup final was the last game but by the time the final and that and a few games had come around I knew my knee was getting worse and worse. It was more painkillers and more pain, more swelling. And then when I came back to do preseason last year, I just couldn't kick a ball. Like I could, honestly, like I couldn't side for the ball from here to that monitor over there. Like, mm. and um, after three or four weeks, I was just going to retire. I went there to do one training and I couldn't move. Like you know, it's getting to the point that like you know, you're the captain. You know, I'd been like I'd been the player of the year before that like and you know I've been playing every week would I like to think of myself as an important player in the team and you don't want players to see the condition you're in and think like has he got anything left to offer us so I tried to just take myself out of that and just I just walked in off training one day left the pitch 
and uh, went to meet a couple of coaches after training and I said I think I'm done lads you know I can't, I, I can't play like this I'm no use to you I don't want to take a wage I don't want to block another player it's best off and to be fair to them they said look give it another month and if it's like this in a month well then you have no regrets because you gave it one more roll the dice really so I went to a new doctor uh, Anthony Hoban out in Dunleary sports doctor he's got a football background and he just changed my treatment plan how I trained when I trained what I did in the gym and he started to uh, drain my knees. So my knees would just swell up when I trained, you know, they'd be full of fluids. It would just go straight from quad to calf, really. I'd struggle to bend it and stuff. So he started to drain the fluid out and then he put steroids and uh, anesthetic in and put me on a course of painkillers and stuff. So between that and being given the time by the manager to get my body right, I just ended up getting back. I ended up getting back the week before the season started. I played a friendly in Galway. And then I started the first, you know, I probably played the first eight or nine matches. And... Um, how often were you, uh, was the fluid getting drained? Probably, you know, definitely once a week, sometimes twice a week. Yeah, you just get the needle in, like, you know, 15, 20 mils will come out and it'll come out the other one and then he'll put the, the little white uh, steroid into it and I had stuff like I had um, oxygen put into it and then your knee is like, it's like bubble wrap. So you're just doing this for the, the next couple of hours, just cracking. And yeah. Look, here, I wouldn't have known enough about it, but I would have trusted the doctor and in fairness, I went from a case of not being able to kick a ball to getting, I think I played 21 games maybe last year. So be hugely thankful to him, obviously to the manager for giving me the time to go and get fixed. And, uh, you know, had I maybe retired when I stepped out of training that day, I might have always regretted it. But yeah. I don't regret it now because I know I've done everything I could to try and try and get out. Like, and yeah, even then the painkillers, you know, that would have I would have been in and out of hospital with um, painkiller abuse, really. Stomach was in bits. So again, like that would have been a part of the decision. Yeah, I don't. I think that's something that people don't actually realise. Like, I know you said being a footballer is the easiest job in the world, but like, yeah, putting your body through this torture, like, I'd imagine just trying to live your day to day life is getting impacted there. You said you're going to the hospital because you're abusing uh, painkillers, basically. Yeah. Well, Richie Sadler was telling us he couldn't brush his teeth because he had a hip injury. Mm. He couldn't even brush his teeth, and you're thinking, oh, yeah. yeah, you're going out on the pitch on the weekend, but like, you're numbed up the bits. Yeah, yeah. You're taking all sorts during the week. You're getting your knees drained. Yeah, yeah. Just to go out and play a fucking match. No, no. That's probably when it got, you know, probably for doing that for a year where your life is just so, it's just so regimented, you know, it's like ice baths. Couldn't really train. So he's doing a lot of stuff on the bike and the swimming pool. You know, you get basically drugged up to play on a Friday. Then you're in bits for the weekend. You, you spend the weekend in bed. And here, look, again, I would say there's people doing worse stuff, you know, so... While you're in pain and stuff and it impacts your day-to-day -day life, it could always be a lot worse, you know, I always just... Yeah, but it's still not ideal either. Nah, it's not. Like, you know, going upstairs, getting out of the car, mm. probably stop walking the dog, to be honest. Mm. It's just stupid stuff like that. You just get taken away from you. But, like, I would look at our manager, um, his assistant, Joey O'Brien, Dave McAllister, one of our coaches. They all have limps and scars, you know, so you know what you're getting yourself into with the career, but... um. It got to that point where it was like being said to me, like, you know, you're going to need knee replacements. You have kids down the line. Do you want to be able to play football with them? Do you want to be able to coach? You, you keep doing this. You're basically impacting your ability to do stuff later in life. So you weigh it all up. And then I wasn't getting a game at the end of the season. You know, I wasn't, and rightfully so, I wasn't in a condition to, to play at the level the team needed. So you're doing all that to not even play. And then you just look at it at the bigger picture. The team's moved on. And you're done, and, and that was it. Talk to us about the lead-up to the cup final. What was that like for you? Were you on the painkillers and all at this stage? Yeah, I would have been on them a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like just taking four or five diphene a day. Just knocking them back without breakfast. Before you go to bed, they're in the drawer. You just say, I'll just take another one of them. Mm. In the dressing before the match, you're thinking, I'll just take another one. And then all of a sudden, you're probably taking 10 plus in 24 hours. 
and your knees like there's a photo of the cup final now here it's not an excuse but the knee is like out to there you know mm. and I'm looking back thinking like you know that's not right like. nah it's not right like you know it's not right and here I'll be honest had I had the doctor I had last year the year before who knows you know he might have been in better condition but that's hindsight like mm. I was lucky I met him when I met him but yeah that's that was just a gig I just got used to it really what was it like getting to the cup final yeah it was, was? it was unbelievable you know even like I said earlier like uh, Graham Burke Ron and Finn they'd be two of my best mates and they were winning leagues every year at Rovers but they would both say that the best days of their careers was the cup finals I think you know they would say when Rovers won that first one a few years ago that was like the best day of their careers it's just you know we all probably grew up watching the Premier League you know and you, you look at the stadiums the exposure and like us League of Ireland lads we barely call ourselves footballers mm. you know but then you play in the Aviva and the build up you know it's the only game on all the media is focused on it the week changes you know it's, you're getting your suit fitted the, the tickets all this kind of stuff that's not normal for us and then you go out in the Aviva and there's 35 40,000 people and you're like well like this is now I really really feel like a footballer so it was great and look I said I've said this before we got beaten 4-0 like via penal still one of the best days of my life you know, wouldn't change it like it was an amazing experience looking up your family and your mates are all there and you feel like you're just on the big stage it was great like yeah one of the best memories I've had even though we got beaten is that the highlight of your career walking out probably yeah yeah before the before the, before yeah, the first whistle, yeah, 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 it would be, yeah, you're standing there, like, and you've got the mascots, and, you know, you've come in on the bus under the under the stadium, and you've got your passes to suit, like, that's, it's, it's like, cliche, but that is when you really feel like you're on the big stage, you look up 35,000, you just want it to last forever, like, yeah, then the game starts and you get beaten 4-0, that's football, that's football. That's yeah. football. Everything you just spoke through there, your day to day, the painkillers, the, the training and all that. Because I was thinking, like, Shells had to get back into Europe this year. And I know you were probably only going to play half the games. I was like, would you not just go again, bleed, and you get the experience in Europe? But obviously, you had to talk us through, but you can't. Yeah, like, a lot of people would have said that to me, fans, friends, and that. Like, would you not have just gone again? Even some of the players were surprised. You know, I remember when I was, uh, I decided I was gone, like, and I would just put a message in the WhatsApp group and just left the group. And like, the lads were saying to me, Jeez, I thought you were grand. I thought you could have gone again. But I knew, I just knew what I'd been going through. Like mm. we spoke, I weighed it all up. The way the body was deteriorating, my performances were dropping. And I'm just doing all that to even get out there and, and not be myself, to be honest. And then I just looked at it and said, like, the team needs to move on. You know, I've been here for five years, you know, held down a position, been the captain. The team is going to have to get used to me not being here. And I think this is the perfect moment for me to step away when we're in Europe, club's in a good place. The manager's signed a new contract, he's staying. It just felt like the perfect time to step away. So, and look, I was lucky enough, I played in Europe at Bowes and Rovers. So, you know, selfishly, at least I got to experience that. So probably wasn't, you know, probably wasn't really something that would have impacted my decision, to be honest. It'd be great, like you hear, as a player, it's, again, it's a little bit like the cup final. It's a different experience to playing in the league, but it's for someone else now. Yeah. You're, you're very humble, aren't you? It, any Shells fans I talk to, when they speak about you, they put you on such a high pedestal. Like You're like a club legend at Shells. And even the way Duff speaks about you, Duff has said that you're his favourite captain of any team, hasn't he? Have you seen that before? Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. <laughs> you don't get a bit embarrassed by uh, that, yeah? Just because, like, you know, he played with Roy Keane and John Terry. Yeah. And... I can never compare myself to them so 
it's obviously a really nice compliment and um, like I think I said he's off air like he means everything he says he's mm. the most honest man you'll ever meet but um, lovely compliment but I, I can't I can't put myself anywhere near mm. that conversation to be fair yeah but I just I think you were downplaying yeah. <laughs> like you were there for five years you were club captain and Shells fans love you like so that's why I think as well when Calvin is saying like, would you not just give it out one more bash but you you know yourself did you have that conversation with Duff about stepping away yeah it would have been ongoing for a while like he to be fair would have said like you know you just will be led by you like you know throughout the season if if you want to go again we want you if you think you're done I won't force you to stay so that was a help you know I wasn't forced upon me by anybody mm. um, and to be honest like right up until the end of the season I thought I was going to play again I'd been offered a couple of jobs elsewhere like to go coaching in other clubs and stuff and I had turned them down because I was like, nah, I think I've got one more year as a player. Like I played against Bowes and Daily Mount probably three or four games to go in the season. Had a good game, like I played well, played against obviously a good side. So it was a good barometer, like you could judge yourself against them. And I thought like, yeah, I've done well tonight. And maybe people would look at that as my last game and say, why is he finished now? But that was one of 10, you know, mm. like I hadn't played for six weeks before. I didn't play again after it. You know, I didn't want to just turn up every 10 weeks and play one game. Mm. And uh, yeah, no, look, I've said it before, it was definitely the right time, definitely the right time, you know, no mm. regrets about it in that sense. It's a very unselfish approach to take because you'd be like, I want to be part of this European journey, but you know, for the benefit of the team, it's better if you're not in it. Yeah, it is, yeah, look, we had the kid who would have replaced me in the team really was Gav Malloy, who's the best young player in the country. Now here he displaced me from the team, so it's not that yeah. I hung around, I, I was going to play ahead of him anyway, yeah. but... You know, for him to grow, like, you know, it would probably help if I'm not there. And look, let's be honest, the reality, the League of Ireland, money is tight. I didn't want to take a wage when I just couldn't contribute what I used to and it would be better spent elsewhere. So, like, that's not why I stepped away. You know, obviously I had to think of the club and the team, but you had to put yourself first. And mm. I, I'd been thinking about it for a while and it just happened quite fast. So, yeah, like last couple of weeks of the season, I thought I'll go again. And then the season finished and I thought... I just don't know if I can go through all that again for another year to not really play. And as captain, your influence, you feel your influence can wane if you're not playing. It can be difficult to go in the dressing room and point fingers and shout at people or demand things from people. And they turn around and say, well, you, you, you're not even playing yourself. Mm -hmm. you know? So I didn't want to become that elf in the dressing room who's telling people what to do, but doesn't back it up himself. That would have been another thing I wanted to avoid, really. When you got made captain, did you feel a major responsibility with that? I would have, because it was done after the relegation, I kind of felt it already. Mm. but then like nah not really to be honest no just no no I didn't no I just wanted to be myself you know I, f I felt ready to be a captain and I felt like I'd been you know, developing into a leader probably and the Ironman was just one more thing you know it wasn't going to change who I was in 2022 probably when we had a, a very young team and the manager now took over probably a lot fell on my shoulders you know a lot of them were probably still slightly intimidated being around the manager because of who he is, Joey O'Brien as the assistant, the career he had playing for Ireland and, you know, the two of them had, uh, had had such good careers. The young lads were probably a bit intimidated by it, so I kind of had to be a bit more of a bridge between probably the staff and players at the time. But then, at the end of the day, you had to just focus on yourself, your own performance, you know, you, you have to make sure you're playing well. And, uh, all the kind of extra responsibilities as captain that like Mark Hoyle would be feeling now and seeing now you just get used to them just become part of the job so I enjoyed it like you know I always wanted to be a captain of a club and 
I love being the captain. Mm. So look, you'd see a lot of players when they retire, they'd go back to the club that they play for in a coaching role, but you're going back now on a director role and like that's, it's not uncommon, but it is kind of rare. Like uh, Arsenal have Edu, Czech was at Chelsea before the ownership came in. Van der Sar's at Ajax. Mm. Um, I think Bayern Munich, they were a lot yeah, they do, yeah. at Bayern Munich are all former players as well. So what's that like? What What's your day-to-day like there first and then why go with director role and not a coach? Yeah, um, I suppose, so the day-to-day is like, you know, I would be... Like what does a technical director do? Because, you know, when you say like director of football, technical yeah. director, CEO, to me, I'm like, what do, I don't know what any of you... The like. CEO would run the football club, so, you know, they'd be over. So they'd appoint you? Yeah, the CEO, yeah, and the owner would have appointed me, yeah. So, like, the CEO would be over, like, the operational side of the club, you know, the football departments would report into him, the marketing team, you know, he'd be over everything. And then I suppose myself, I would be, you know, you would have had the men's team, the women's team and the academy. So I would be working with all them really. And I would be working daily with all three departments, I suppose, with the medical and the kind of the sports science side of the club. Then with the operational side of the club, you know, there'd be crossover. I'd have to do stuff with the marketing team, the community officer, the CEO, board members. And then like medium to long term, I suppose, it's like to make the club, you know, successful and sustainable on the pitch whether it's you know working with the academy director on the first team to create pathways for young players identify players at the right stage of their career to come into the first team you know operate within a budget renew contracts make sure we protect our assets get good value for them when we sell them while trying to stay successful on the pitch so that's kind of like the medium to long term but then the day to day like the League of Ireland is mad you know like I said of I've done all sorts of stuff, but I'm sure everyone in every club has mm. has had to do it. I just had to muck in. So yeah, look, I'm still learning. You know, I'm only in it two months. I'm sure probably if you ask me in six months, it'll be slightly different again. But um, I suppose like, you know, technical director, director of football, I'm not sure the difference between a lot of the titles. I don't really care about the title. You know, I would see myself as being the person from the football side of the club who would be probably working closest with the operational and business side of the club and reporting into them and updating them on the football side of stuff, trying to be that bridge between the two, really. Mm. So, and why do I not coach? I mean, I have, like, I'm, I've got my UEFA license, I've done all my badges. I still, you know, can see myself being a manager one day. I always said I wanted to be one, but I kind of always got fascinated with a role like this and working in a football club in this capacity, I suppose. It actually just came from, I'm a United fan, and like for years, Gary Neville saying, oh, there's no director of football, there's no mm. recruitment specialist, there's none of this. Like, you know, the manager's having to do it all, so on. So that's like when I first heard of it when I was younger and I just, you know, you just listen to podcasts, read things and I got to know about the role and I always thought, God, that'd be a great one to do when I finish. And look, I retired and then got offered at the club that I wanted to be at. So it's, it was the dream for me, really. Yeah, it's a matter because you're only 30 years of age, like, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. a very mature role for such a young person to be in. Yeah, look, I'm sure people would would say that, you know, say, well, where's your experience come from? You know, because you play doesn't make you a good director. But I've tried to, you know, like I said, I did a, done a business degree, done like sports psychology diploma, um, got me coaching badges, have a playing career, done different kinds of jobs. So I tried to round myself as a person while I was playing. So I've probably pulled on all those experiences now in this job. Now here, that doesn't mean to say I'm going to be very good at it, but I'll, I'll try, you know. That's all, that's, you know, I'm trying to work as hard as I can. I'm out there coaching in the evenings. They're long days, there's a lot in it, but... I do love it, you know, I'm working in football again, which is what I've always wanted to do, so I wouldn't complain about the, the long days. Talk to us a little bit about Duff. How detail-orientated is he? What's he like 
he comes across as a bit stern, intimidating, that kind of character, and humble as well. Yeah, he's, he's all those things. Like, you know, he walks in the room and he's got an aura, you know, immediately he'll get the attention of a room. He's a, an amazing communicator, you know, like whether he's talking to the media, the fan, the player who's maybe a bit quieter, the player who's louder, you know, he talks to them all in the correct way, mm. you know, and that's even out on the pitch then how you see his coaching because his coaching is so detailed. Like you look at the video analysis and then he brings it onto the pitch and like I'm sure all the lads would say to you, they've never seen detail like it in their careers no matter where they've played. Like I'm talking, steps here, steps there. <laughs> you know the ball a foot that way a foot this way like that is the detail he goes into and even just how he communicates that to players and makes players understand it and see why they're doing it you know they're not just being told do this because I say it's right they understand why they're doing it and um, then just beyond that he's just like he's an inspirational figure you know for the whole football club the fans idolise him yeah talk a park like they idolise him yeah. and rightfully so you know the players the same and that's you know with the players I suppose it's because of what he's done for all the lads as people you know he's done something for every single one of them players off the pitch that no one will ever know about you know giving his own time and um, his own energy to people in ways that football managers probably don't and his own money as well his own money as well yeah look and he doesn't have to do that you know that's not in the job spec and like people will never know what he's done for some of them lads I do know some of the things he's done he's done stuff for me and that you know helps create buy-in you know you see all our players like players of other teams would say when they come to us or when you talk to them they can see our team like all would die for each other they all play for each other they love each other we hang around together socialise together training is like everyone just loves going into training and he's just created that environment and I haven't experienced it anywhere else. It's, it's like, you know, he could go in and do that in a business, in a company. Mm. Like, you know, it wouldn't have to be football. He just knows how to get people working towards one thing and working together and that's what makes him great. Yeah, one thing that I remember was when uh, he was in the running for the job, he initially turned it down and he ruled himself out. He was like, no, he came out and then by the end of the week he took the job and the media were saying like why did you change your mind and he was the, was it the 17s coach at the time yeah he says I'm on the pitch every day with them telling them you have to take a chance in life what do you really want and you have to go for it and then I turned down this job so I have to step up and I was like that's so mm. true fair play to you because yeah. I see a lot of people you know what I mean they give it loads just to be this front but they don't back it up and I was like no he's living it 100% you know what I mean? so I'd say that translates directly to players on the pitch then you know what I mean yeah he had this he's over 100 caps for Ireland he's had this great career and he could easily just coast in and be like I demand respect Yeah, he comes across as the fellow who earns the respect ah yeah completely so humble like you know you wouldn't you'd very very rarely get a reference to his career from him at times in his coaching it's it, he does reference a player or a manager saying something to him which is useful like you know everyone does it but because of the level he's been to mm. you might expect him to do it more yeah Mourinho like kind of thing yeah he could like, yeah. you know he'd be within his rights to mention Mourinho more or you know Roy Hodgson or John whoever you know but uh, he doesn't and that's because you know he said this you know he he obviously had an amazing career as a player but he very much when he became a coach said oh, I have to start from the bottom like that's a, he started just out there coaching Rovers 15s you know players with his career walk into big jobs yeah you know straight mm -hmm. away he said no I've got to learn my trade went in under 15 football under 17 football Celtics B team Celtic first team coach Ireland coach Shell 7 you know he, he did it the hard way Mm. you know and um, again then when you ask you as a player to live like a footballer 24-7 or to do the extra bit or to you know yeah I suppose go the extra yard from you're thinking well you do it for me yeah. so I'm going to give it back to you 
What's this about the videos he makes for the players or something? Yeah, I mean, he makes um, a combination of videos. Like, obviously, we do our analysis each week on the other team, on ourselves. Um, he does individual videos with players. Like, he would have made a video for Sean Boyd, our striker on Erling Haaland. You know, you, you see a six-minute video, but God knows how long it took him to make that. Um, then he does funny videos. He does motivational videos. But yeah, like a few... You've got a surprise. Roddy Collins featuring one of them. Yeah. Gave me a bit of stick in it. Didn't expect <laughs> to see him up on the TV the day before the cup final. But uh, again, it's just his way of understanding people. He just knew the right moments to like pull us into a meeting room and make us laugh with a funny video mm. or an amazing and motivational video. Like, honestly, I get goosebumps talking about some of them. The text on screen, the, the footage, the moment, the time. And here he's got like unbelievable awareness of people and what motivates them and stuff so I'll miss that to be honest I won't be a part of that anymore I will miss that the videos mm. he seems like a real pillar of the club already he's only there a short period of time and 100% even, I think uh, everything is really starting to align isn't it for the league when you think of like there's a fella like him who could have walked into another job he probably could get a job in England like that and he's like he's so committed to this he's building it from the ground up it's actually costing him not just time but it definitely is costing him money he has come out and said that and then when you look at the players that are coming through and you look at the professionalism in the league the only thing that's probably lacking in the league now is the facilities really 100% like the players are there the talent is there the coaching's getting better the exposure is increasing if you increase the facilities then I think we're on to a good path and there's no reason why probably I'd say minimum two teams in the league can't be in Europe every year and I don't mean like qualifying yeah, like in stage. a group stage yeah one in the uh, Europa League one in the Conference League minimum I think yeah and no, I totally agree with you it's a question that comes up a lot but it's facilities for me because mm. the you know the better facilities bring more exposure more TV cameras more crowds bigger ticket gates that money gets reinvested elsewhere so like the domino of the better facilities I mean like Mark Scanlon came out and said the TV cameras won't go to certain grounds this season because they can't put it on TV mm. like that yeah so there's decommissioned stands exactly. and stadiums and all uh, that. we have one you know, yeah. we have one but people are saying that for 15-20 years and you know, that's like, I think I was saying earlier, is the clubs have done so much good work from the academies to the social media to the infrastructure. But like, they're hitting the ceiling now because the facilities are, but they are, they're going to need government funding. None of the clubs have the money to do up a stadium. Like Rovers obviously have a now 10,500, I think. But that's a council stadium. You know, Rovers didn't have the money to do that. And we're all the same. So we're all... We're all scrapping around, you know, trying to get fed, really, get government funding. Mm. Until we do, you know, we, we probably will hit a scene. Like, you know, it's, it's it's great in one sense, like, you see the sold out signs, but it's, it's uh, actually, I think it's like the most frustrating thing. We shouldn't be celebrating selling out four and a half thousand, you know? It's, we've come a long way to get there, but like, scope there for more. Scope, like, Bowles yeah. Rovers, now here, they can do it now. If Daily Man had 10,000 people, they would put 10,000 in there for that game. Mm. We'd have six, seven, at least this week against Rovers, but we can't. And so that's like, you know, you're just leaving money on the table every week. Yeah. That's a frustrating thing. Yeah. Speaking of money on the table, uh, I suppose they benefit the Brexit deal. It's yeah. Young talents are being scoped at 15, 16 from yeah. Ireland anymore. Yeah, yeah, a million percent. So you're getting a chance to see them. You know, there's kids here now breaking in who you'll see play for Ireland in a few years and the other thing it's doing is it's allowing clubs so like you know my age Graham Burke John O'Sullivan two lads I know they would have gone to England at 16 to Premier League clubs for like I don't know 5, 10,000 15,000 like it would have been nothing at the time now you have the chance with Brexit to put kids on professional contracts earlier expose them to your first team can you get them in the first team playing at a good level 
and put them on a two or three year contract, like invest in the kid if he deserves it and he's an asset to the football club. And then down the line, you sell him and you, you put that money back in and it allows you to do it more and more. So that's been a positive of Brexit. It's also meant that like kids are going now to like, the league is losing players to Italy and France and Holland. Yeah, and yeah. That's great. Abbey went to Belgium. After Abbey went to Belgium. So yeah. like, it's great that it's opened up those doors for young Irish players, you know, and hopefully again, the national team will see the benefits of that. But it's totally changed the landscape, really. And here, like one thing I always would have thought about, you know, football here is, you know, the guy in the rugby, the education is part of like a young player's progression or development. Like in football, you're nearly actively um, advised to leave school, don't go to college. Yeah. We all, and you know, this is 16 year old kids who the chances are, there's a stat out there by 21, 90 odd percent of them are out of the game. Mm. They're here longer now, you can keep them in school. Can you do something with a college or some sort of skill where you can have them in the first team and split their education or football. So it's given us a chance now, but like that chance will only be there for so long. We need the funding now. We need the money to like put the plans in place to take advantage of the opportunities we've got from Brexit. But again, it's like we're still looking for that funding in a lot of the places. Yeah, and as well, it's kind of a double-edged sword when you think about it. It's like, yeah, we can keep them here, but if the standard isn't rising, you're just wasting two, three years of yeah. development of, of a child's career, really. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's what they are. They are kids at yeah. the end of the day. That's the only argument, you know, like Evan Ferguson got to go to Brighton at 15. Was he 15, 16? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, he was young, yeah. Like, he would have played loads of games for both in a professional team, played in Europe, I'm sure, maybe a cup final, which would have been great for him. But like, when you weigh it up, he was in Brighton's training ground seven days a week with the best sports scientists, the best nutritionists, strength conditioning coaches. Like, I would imagine that the development is quicker and, and faster and more productive in the Brighton environment that's just because the clubs here can't offer what those clubs can offer so yeah. it's another it's a reason I think maybe the international team is starting to suffer you know we haven't got the Robbie Brady's Jeff Hendricks coming through with the big clubs spending those years from 16 to 20 in the Premier League or big academies we're now relying on the kids from the League of Ireland to come through and be the bedrock of the international team and you know loads of them are doing great like Ogbené and, and so on but there's just less and less, you know, compared mm. to the years gone by. Yeah, I suppose we will see some exceptions. Like Sam Curtis has only gone to the Premier League as well. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. I mean, he's like what he done at his age is incredible. Yeah, you know, you forget when you're playing against me, seventeen last year. So he's got a great chance. And look, there's still kids getting great moves. Kid from Rovers went to um, Como at the top of Serie B there recently. You know, we sold two players in the office. One Jack Moylan went to Lincoln. Yeah, as a first team player. On the other hand, then you've got Luke Brown who goes to Crystal Palace as an 18-year-old in their academy. So there's still a variety of moves the kids can get, but they are here longer. And it, it does, you would say... It, you it have to utilise the time that they are exactly. here. That's the thing. Take so advantage you, of it. You don't want to be like hindering somebody. No. Keeping them here for the sake of it. Yeah. You don't want to just keep them here at 16 to train two nights a week. Like That's not the advantage Brexit has given us. You yeah. know, it has to be more than that. Yeah. Uh, we're not being very serious there. Um, so just want to touch back on your Bowles and Rovers time. What was it like going from Rovers to play in Daily Mount what was the stake like? It was heavy like the first one we played balls three games into the season and uh, I was getting bottles coins all sorts launched on me and then the way you go into the away dugout was down the end of the pitch in, in at the Jody and like there was a couple of lads hanging over the side waiting for me and all and then like the manager of Rovers wouldn't let me walk to my car after unless I was with people there was a couple of lads waiting outside had people come up to me on nights out about it like and then we were playing there and we were winning and we were keeping the ball down the corner of the Jody, like right down the corner. I'm playing left back. Graham Burke was time wasting, you know, he's in the corner flicking the ball around, winning throw-ins. 
and it was my job to take the throw and I'm like, Berkey, come on, I'm saying to him, come on, man, you're killing me. And he was like, take that throw in. And I was like, you take it. And he was like, you take it. So I'm, there's a photo of me standing in front of the Jody like this and you want to see the venom behind me. I'm, I got hit with a pack of soft mints, bottle of piss. And I remember dropping the ball and saying to the ref like, he says, what do you want me to do? Just take the throw and get out of there. So I'm throwing it to Berkey and Berkey again, another throw in. I says, you're on your own. I'm not taking that, you know. But yeah, they hate me. And that's fair enough. You know, yeah. I'm a United fan. Wouldn't like if a player went to City. That's probably how they would compare it. Bowls are over. So have you got any funny interactions? With fans? Yeah. <sighs> they weren't really funny in fairness. Like I got like lads come up to me on nights out and stuff. Find out where my car was, where I lived, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, that's a nasty side of it like, yeah. it like it really is like you know look I get it you wouldn't like it like Bows and Rovers there is a big rivalry and, and but the, that's a nasty side like I know we're sitting here kind of laughing about it but you don't like to hear that kind of like people getting smacks and stuff and waiting outside and stuff like that yeah at the end of the day you're a bleeding young player you're a bleeding night day and going to Rovers now what it's, not even, it's your career like you know what I mean you have to make a living doing yeah. that so you went for like it's like if you went from one company to another company yeah, for yeah. more money no but you have to kind of understand to an extent like it is a rival team and you, you know what you're doing I don't mean you know what you're doing but no, you no, know that it. that's a big but rivalry yeah. but I just think there's a there's a line there's a line that shouldn't be crossed and it's yeah. not waiting for someone to go to the car after a match or throwing coins at them or whatever but I think that happens all around it like does, that, yeah. that happens and to be fair that's a minority of people you know yeah. mm-hmm. the people at Bowes and my left were very fair with me you know they shook my hand and wished me all the best the players were grand with me Yeah, I'm sure 99% of the fans wouldn't blink at me if I walked by them Yeah, it was just that those few But they're, they're just they're that, that's just a nasty little side of it we talked about how good clubs are doing in terms of the exposure and everything now and clubs can't control government funding for facilities and stuff like that but what can clubs do extra still even though they're doing brilliant what can they do extra I mean look I you know I'm, I'm robbing this it's just something I've heard said you know um, I think the guy and other sports particularly the guy like they're brilliant at lobbying for funding mm. in you know politically basically you know, they're brilliant at the application process. They're brilliant at aligning themselves with, with politicians. And I think football is like terrible at it. We haven't put ourselves in a position in the eyes of the government to probably justify and deserve the funding. And that probably does, it's probably a legacy thing as well from the FAI, the way it was run. Yeah. All the stuff that came out about where the money was going, the death. So I'm not an expert on it, but like, you know, some, I've heard loads of things said and one that like resonated maybe was as a sport, we're not good at positioning ourselves for this funding. Again, I mean, now you ask the clubs, that's not a mm. club thing necessarily, but it's more of a, a sport thing as a whole. Yeah, like as a unit. Do you think that's a tribalism thing? Because like, Bowers don't want to be lobbying for funding because it's going to benefit shells that are down the road. Potentially, yeah. I mean? Like, I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but there's definitely an element of that. Maybe not necessarily with the funding, but like, yeah, there's always that look after your own. Yeah. Even though like a, a rising tide. Yeah, rising tide. Yeah, yeah. I would like to see the clubs probably work together a bit more on something yeah. like that. Again, look, I'm only in this role. I've been a player my whole career, like, you know, the last 10, 12 years. I don't know the ins and outs of stuff like this that goes on in the conversations, but you would like to think the clubs can put the rivalries aside and work together because, like you said, the rising tide, you know, it's a great saying for the League of Ireland. Yeah, there is a lot there to be done and I think it's not even, like, a reach. You know, like, the TV deals is a big one. 
like there's always pressure on RT to, to televise more games that was uh, the stream and stuff that kind of went to shit didn't it and then obviously the facilities as well that, that's a big one you know yeah yeah I suppose then I mean like you know can clubs be more proactive at looking for private investment mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't fit every model you know Bows are fan owned Rovers are I think 51 49 yeah. yeah. so doesn't fit every club you know obviously we had the private investment last year you know but it, it, I suppose if it ain't going to come from government can clubs themselves go out and find it be creative and yeah really focus on the stadiums that would be the thing for me like that, there is a lot to be done, but I'd still say it feels like a different world. When you first went to Chelsea, you'd have been playing in front of 500 fans, yeah. and then last season, probably what, 4,500? Yeah, like a bit 4,000 against UCD. Yeah. All due respect, that's what, that would never have happened. Like, you know, they don't have any fans. So there is a lot of positives to take, but that obviously there's so much more to be done by every club, and hopefully with facilities and stuff like that, we're funding, but I would say that probably still feels like it's another world compared to where it was like 100%. five years ago or else. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not where you want it to be. You always want more, but yeah, it's completely different. Like, it's completely transformed. Yeah, right? you can see, like, lads are making a living out of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, the likes of Graham and Jack, they're, they're doing all right. Like, you know, I know, yeah, I know yeah, they'd yeah. be on the, the up by and on to the pay scale, but they're not the only ones out there who are making decent money. No, no, no. The wages of, you know, if I compare it to like, like, the league. mortgages playing League of Ireland football yeah yeah that was unheard of 10 years ago million percent no there was, the money is a lot better than it was when I came in like who marked Ronaldo when, when Rovers played Real Lane, was it? I can't remember who. whoever marked Ronaldo the next day he was on the radio he was sitting in the car park he was doing his job he was a ticket collector in the car park and I remember thinking you marked the most expensive player ever yeah and the next day you're on the radio and you're in your part time job Ah, yeah. You know what I mean? And that it's was crazy, what, 15 yeah. years that ago? That was the league, yeah. Crazy league. That was that, that, when was that? 2009, was that? Yeah, it was just it was like first that, ever game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was first ever game. Oh, for Madrid, yeah. Yeah. Look at it now, there's lads, as I said, they have a car, they have a gaff, they're paying off both during the mid to late 20s. Yeah. And they're yeah. able to support the family, like, that's crazy. Yeah, it's totally different. You know what I mean? Totally different. And it's on the rise. And, and it can get better. This is yeah. the thing, like, all 10, there's no reason why all 10 teams in the Premier Division can't given that lifestyle to their players but yeah they're all full time now in fairness you know, that's first time I can uh, draw that maybe a semi mm. full time but the other nine are completely full time just before we finish up have you any regrets in your career? no love no. to hear that nah had ups and downs but you know got the most out of myself wasn't the most talented had injuries kept going at it just kept dedicated really stayed competitive and enjoyed it you know made a lot of good friends and had good days, bad days, but no, no regrets. And one last question. What piece of advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? Enjoy every last moment of it because it's not going to last forever, you know. Yeah, geez, it still feels like yesterday I was 21, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you are the same. Yeah. It's crazy how quickly it goes, but when you're that, that kind of young, mid-20s, full-time footballer, you think this is great and it doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. So just enjoy it. Like You're only 30, relax with yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you're the same age. Yeah, but you don't realize how old you are, boys. You was a thirty, like that's. What are you? I'm only a nipper. I'm mid twenties, twenty-seven. I am. Twenties, in your late twenties. I look rough, Luke. I look. <laughs> <laughs> I look too. Calvin looks young, in fact. Yeah, but bro, I'm holding it down, alright. Yeah, but you're thirty. <laughs> yeah, that's the end there. Have you had the plug or not, Luke? No. No, I would just say, look, and then. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, the I'm doing yeah, the gig there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drop down, <laughs> lay down and talk apart. <laughs> yeah. That's it, just there. Yeah. People who are debating, getting involved in League of Ireland, just try it. Yeah. You know, just, a lot of people recently have been in that boat and now they love it, they're hooked. So, mm. no matter what your club is, let's exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. General, you know. Yeah. Just get involved. 
Yeah. Or if you live around the Fairview Ballybock in a city area, go to Tolga <laughs> Park. Luke, you're an absolute legend. Thanks for coming into the sound, lad. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right, take us out, Bill. Subscribe to this podcast for free on the Go Loud app. The Hip Knocker. Come down.